Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Previously On, Watchmen in association with Sky Atlantic taking you through some of the best and most complex television in the world. Hello everybody, how the devil are you? It's Jamie East here with another episode of Previously on Watchmen. Hopefully by now you've all watched episode six. If you haven't, you probably need to go back a couple of episodes of Previously on and catch up. Uh, All the recaps are there, but let me tell you a little bit about what we got coming up. I'm going to do the recap first this week, okay? Because there's quite a lot that I want to talk about, but I think we need to get a bit of a refresher about the plot and about what actually happened before we delve into what it all means. Then, extremely excited about this, I speak to Megan Kasperlik. Now, you probably won't know who Megan Kasperlik is, but let me tell you, you will bloody well love her work. Megan Kasperlik is the costume designer of Watchmen. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She has had her hands on Sister Knight's hood. She has touched Looking Glass's mask. She's been to the shops for Lady True. Uh, She's based in New York at the moment, working on another show. Uh, So we did a quick phone call with her uh, late last night, and it was a joy speaking to her, and really good to kind of find out the process and the inspiration and what it takes to work on a show with the complexity and scale of something like Watchmen. And then we take a look forward to episode seven. Goodness me, there are only three episodes left of Watchmen in this series. I don't know about you, but it is just getting better and better and better. I try and work out what is going on, or I try and second guess what I think is going to be happening in the future episodes. And <laughs> a lot, I don't mind telling you, I got it wrong every single flipping time. So we're going to take a look at the trailer. But listen, I've got a question for you. What do you think is happening? What do you think the season finale is going to hold? Uh, I've got an idea. For episode eight of previously on Watchmen, I want to include some of your best theories. I want to hear what you think is going to happen. Is everybody going to make it? Is everybody getting out of this town alive? Are we going to see Dr. Manhattan? Where is Adrian Veidt? What is Lady True up to? If you've got a theory or an idea or just something that's just so crazy, you've just got to get it out, let me know. And I'll include the best ones during the episode. You can either just tweet me at Jamie East or you can tweet at Sky Atlantic or I'll work out a way where you can send a voice note and I'll play the recording of you you having a go at it. How are we going to do that? I've got absolutely no idea, but I'll work on that over the next couple of weeks. But start thinking about it. I want to plant that seed in your head. What is going to happen in episode nine? Okay, we know that the title of episode nine is called See How They Fly. That's a Beatles reference, right? Which song is that from? Hang on a second. 
See how they fly. Beatles. It's a... Uh, see how they fly. It was from I Am The Walrus, wasn't it? Oh, look at this. So I've got the lyrics to I Am The Walrus in front of me. And I am he, as you are he, as you are me, and we are all together. Okay, classic Lennon. This one might be pertinent, though. See how they run like pigs from a gun. See how they fly. I'm crying. Mm. What can it mean? See how they run like pigs from a gun. Are we heading full circle to something to do with the Tulsa Massacre again? That's how we began the whole season. Are we going to go back there for the finale? Oh, man, I don't know. Let me know what you think. You can find me anywhere at Previous Podcast, at uh, Jamie East on Twitter. Just send me a DM. My DMs are open. I'm dead interested in what you've got to say. And we'll include all of the best ones during uh, episode eight of Previously on Watchmen. Right, that's enough waffle from me. It's time to recap. Watchmen Season 1, Episode 6, The Extraordinary Being. We begin as the main Watchmen logo transforms within a puff of smoke to read Minutemen. We're in an interrogation room as a costume vigilante we hear is called Hooded Justice undergoes a grilling from two classically hard-faced detective types. One detective announces in an honour to be sat across from the guy who started it all, who was first to pull on a mask and fight crime, the Alpha. We hear mention of the Minutemen, the group of masked vigilantes responsible for putting a number of the city's most wanted behind bars, and are again reminded that this man, Hooded Justice, was first. The detectives move to the rope noose the masked crime fighter wears around his neck, offering two alternate views on why he does so. One suggests it's to remind the baddies he's an executioner who means business, whilst the other thinks it might be for sex stuff. The detectives demand Hooded Justice remove his mask so they can take a photo of his face, but he determinedly refuses. The two begin to push a few buttons, mentioning they know Hooded Justice is in a homosexual relationship with another vigilante called Captain Metropolis. Then comes the blackmail. The detectives drop a bombshell that the captain has a secure safe holding a roll of film that contains sex stuff. They mention that on the film, Captain Metropolis is engaged in the uh, sex stuff with director Hoover, not a masked vigilante this time despite the tremendous name, and is trying to blackmail Hoover. A deal is presented. Hooded Justice brings them the film, and in return, they will destroy the photo they're about to take revealing his true identity. With no room to manoeuvre, Hooded Justice removes his hood, However, just as the camera is about to capture his face, he strikes, ripping through the two detectives like an unmasked vigilante through butter, leaving them battered, blooded and unconscious. We cut away from the carnage to see it's actually a TV show being run on a screen in the present-day police station, just as Laurie strolls by and tells officers to turn it off. And once again, Watchman has managed to catch viewers completely off guard within the first five minutes. Outstanding Laurie's given consent documents that require Angela's signature to move her from a cell to a hospital. Remember, she swallowed all her grandfather's pills last episode. Laurie heads to see Angela. She mentions how nostalgia pills work, how dangerous they are, and how Lady True owns the company that produced them before they were outlawed due to health and addiction concerns. We see that from Angela's perspective, things are a little hazy to say the least. In her altered state, Laurie's words dip in and out of focus. Sound is amplified, then muffled, and she's visibly shaken. Laurie presses that she must sign the release form to allow a hospital to pump her stomach and save her from slipping into a coma. Angela hallucinates as she's pushed for the location of her grandfather. She's back in uniform about to graduate police academy as a speech is made about the significance of the badge she's wearing. We then close into a young man. We can presume that that's her grandfather, Will Reeves, back in the day as they were his nostalgia pills. Will, the only black man in the graduation line, is overlooked by the self-important man who gave the speech and is instead given his badge by a black police lieutenant. In a strange twist, 
the lieutenant offers some advice to young Will. Beware the Cyclops. Okay. We move to a bar where Will meets a young black female journalist covering his story. She also happens to be his girlfriend, June. She tells him she's worried about him having a gun and baton, as he's a very angry man after he saw his mother and father killed as a child, referencing the Tulsa massacre of 1921. We shift to the streets. Will is walking the beat and sees a man throw a petrol bomb into a local deli. He demands the man stop in the name of the law, classic line. The man identifying himself as Fred is unconcerned as Will arrests him. Back in the station, the openly racist man says he's innocent, seemingly expecting the other cops to take his side. They instead side with Will. However, the man is led away. The cop escorting him makes a symbol representing white supremacy that looks uncannily like a cyclops. Ah, beware the cyclops. Back on the beat, Will talks to a news agent about a comic book he's reading. Another man barges him as he walks by and we see it's Fred, released from the station. When Will questions the desk sergeant, he's told to let it be unless he wants to end up dead. We move to an out-of-uniform Will walking down the street. A cop car pulls alongside him, offering him a ride and a beer with an undeniable side order of menace. He wisely declines. As the car pulls away, the vision shows it dragging the blooded bodies of two less fortunate people. In a quiet, dimly lit alley, the cop screeches back into view and three officers emerge and beat Will with batons. We cut to a view of him being dragged towards a tree, punches rain down as a noose is placed around his neck and he's lifted from his feet. The vision blurs against the sounds of choking, then we suddenly plummet. A cop cuts the noose from a gasping will, a threat is made to keep his nose out of their business or next time they won't cut him down. As they leave, we see Angela in Will's place, bound and struggling for air. Will walks alone in silence through the dark streets, witnessing an attack on a couple in an alleyway. He pauses, seemingly unsure what to do. Then, in a moment of inspiration, he pulls on the hood that was placed over him earlier by the racist cops and strides towards the scene and unleashes all hell and fury upon the attackers, laying waste to them in a flurry of punches and well-delivered kicks. The couple thank him and make a hasty exit. Will turns towards the camera, his eyes alone visible behind the hood, and... With a little bit of open-mouthed awe, we realise we've just witnessed the birth of the first masked vigilante, Will Hooded Justice Reeves. The real alpha. Blimey. The next morning, Will awakes at home with June. He's aching and troubled by the previous night's violence. June mentions he's made the paper as a hero for intervening in the attack, then asks why he put the hood back on. She asks him the name of the film he kept watching as a child. Will describes a story about a black sheriff who hid his true identity as he delivered the law. June points out that the cinema where he watched that film was burned down by white men and the Klan and they can't get justice with a badge, but he could with a hood if it keeps people thinking it's a white man underneath. We move now to a fully kitted out Will hooded Justice Reeves tailing his first adversary, racist scumbag Fred. He bursts into a secret Klan meeting and begins to tear through the robe gathering. Each man is served a taste of sweet, sweet justice. The beating seems complete. A man suddenly charges him and knocks him through a door into a shop front where customers watch in surprise and shock. The owner asks what this hooded intruder is supposed to be, then lets rip a volley of shotgun rounds at him. Will dives through the shop window like a genuine superhero. Time slows to a standstill, holding him in a brilliant broken glass shard-infused pose. And we find ourselves back in the present and looking out through Angela's eyes as Laurie comes into focus. She asks if Angela can hear her. Her voice drifts in and out. We hear Angela's not moving, but her eyes are wide open. She blinks in response to Laurie's questions about whether she can hear them. Cal, her husband, turns up and begins to go through the aspects of their life in a bid to bring her back out of the mists of Will's memories 
that she's currently very lost in. We cut back to Will and June, just as they're disturbed by a knock at the door. A man introducing himself as Nelson Gardner enters, saying he has business to discuss with Will. As they sit, Nelson states he's there on behalf of Captain Metropolis, a costumed adventurer and a bid to form a team of patriots, the new Minutemen. Nelson continues that Captain Metropolis has narrowed down Hooded Justice's movements and believes he's getting information from a cop, namely Officer Will Reeves. June laughs and questions if Mr Metropolis is in fact Nelson. A bit obvious. Will intervenes by asking what Cyclops means to him and mentions how the clan group are planning something. Before he leaves, Nelson admits he's a huge admirer of Hooded Justice and if Will sees him, he should pass on the information. Hands him a card and leaves. Next, we find ourselves in the throes of passion as Will and Nelson share a bed and a little bit more than business cards. I move quickly. Nelson then confirms that the other masked vigilantes, or costumed adventurers, will be delighted Hooded Justice is part of the crew as it legitimises them, but that Will must stay covered up at all times. Back in the other bed Will shares, he talks with June. She asks him to recount the first time he saw her. Will remembers the moment he found the baby crying following the Tulsa massacre and we learn that that baby was June. Bombshell after bombshell. At that point, June drops another when she reveals she's pregnant. At a press conference, Will adorned as Hooded Justice enters and is about to deliver details on Cyclops and their plot when Captain Metropolis stops him and changes the route by declaring the new crime boss they're seeking is called Mullock the Magnificent. A hugely racist advertising poster is then unveiled and Will quietly seethes under the flashbulbs of the cameras. We watch as time shifts quickly. Will and June's baby is born, a son. He moves from toddler to young boy as Will continues to fight crime and collect the newspaper cuttings. There's commotion and carnage at a cinema. Back in his officer's uniform, Will enters. Bodies are strewn across the area and a young woman cries. He asks her what happened and she describes a flash of light and voices, then a brutal attack. Will deduces it was planned by the Cyclops group while using images on the screen to turn black people against one another. He tracks the group to a warehouse and calls for assistance from Captain Metropolis, but the cap tells him he's being ridiculous and instead invites him over for a bit of a... Will insists he gathers the group and help him, but again Captain Metropolis declines. At that moment, Fred interrupts. Remember him, the racist deli bomber? He doesn't seem to remember Will as he questions what he's doing there, but I'm pretty sure his memory was jogged for the milliseconds it took for the bullet to leave Will's gun and plant itself squarely in his head. Drop dead, Fred. We enter the Cyclops' warehouse as Will, back in his hooded justice headgear, shoots and kills those inside. He then finds a man in cop uniform reading the script for the mind control film being played at cinemas and strangles him with the cord of his own headphones before stacking and burning all the bodies. He watches from outside as the whole place goes up in flames. When he gets home, Will finds his son playing dress-up as hooded justice, applying the white man makeup to his face. He flips out. June protects her son and informs Will becoming a vigilante was a mistake he can never leave behind. She declares she's going back to Tulsa. We're back in the present. An old man Will sits in his wheelchair watching as Judd Crawford approaches after his car tyres are blown. Will has Judd push him up a grassy hill. We recognise this as the hill Judd died on. Will seems to be using a very similar mind control to Cyclops on Judd via a bright flickering flashlight and his own words. At the top of the hill, Will states he is Justice and reveals he knows Judd had a clan robe. Judd states it was his grandfather's and that the old man doesn't know him. Will makes the sign of the Cyclops as he states he does indeed know all about Judd. He then switches the flickering torch back on and tells Judd he can hang himself now, to which Judd duly obliges. 
we see Angela witness the moment inside Will's memories. Visions flash before Angela and an old lady approaches saying she's going to take her home. Then we see Angela sit bolt upright in bed. Lady True is alongside her. Welcome back, she says. You're listening to Previously On Watchmen in association with Sky Atlantic. You can watch Watchmen exclusively on Sky Atlantic every single Monday at 9pm. Don't panic if you've missed it because each episode goes straight up on demand as soon as it's aired. For more information, hop over to sky.com. Okay, so that's the recap. But what the hell does it all mean? For starters, it felt like the most separate episode of the whole season, didn't it? Where the music was completely different. There was very little of uh, Trent Reznor's score, apart from, I think, towards the very end uh, with, with, with Judd Crawford. The rest was all amazing, kind of piano and some, some kind of classic standards uh, reimagined. But as so much of Watchmen is about race and is about race relations in the far right and, and I guess, appropriation and about masks, I thought the origin story of Will Reeves and Hooded Justice was just genius. What better way of sticking it to white America than to have their first idol, a black man. The first costume hero that inspired everything, from the Minutemen to everything, was a black man whose identity wasn't hidden for reasons of kind of like Clark Kent-style reasons, but because if they knew he was a black man, they would kill him. Even the kind of uh, pomposity of the cops in the Minutemen episode, where they assumed that his noose was because of him dishing out justice as an executioner, rather than him being on the other side of that noose. I thought it was just incredible. I'm enjoying the aspect that Lindelof is trying to push towards reminding people to stop looking to the past for the answers. The past is never as you remember it. And that's true in Watchmen. It's true with the cops that are watching Minutemen for bygone era that didn't actually exist as they thought it did, now that we know that Will Reeves was in fact hooded justice and not that chisel-jawed white man uh, that appeared in the, in the, uh, in the TV programme, but in the form of, of, of clan robes and even modern-day Make America Great Again hats. Uh, it's harking back, and you know, hashtag Brexit, harking back to a past that didn't really exist. Do you know what I mean? And Alan Seppenwall has picked up on something really, really good in his article on this episode in Rolling Stones magazine. Do go and check that out if you can. Uh, he reminded me of, uh, of what Laurie said back in the third episode, that heroes' masked identities are shaped by childhood trauma, and points out that Will Reeves' last good memory before the Tulsa Massacre was him watching uh, Trust in the Law in the cinema, and that he's modelled his whole life on base Reeves, even taking his name. I very much enjoyed Will Reeves' uh, makeup as well. Did you like that? Did you notice the kind of the reverse Sister Knight uh, white makeup? I thought that was a beautiful touch. And the links between Angela and Will are incredible. You know, when you think about it, despite her never knowing about him, they're both cops or they're both ex-cops and they're both simultaneously vigilantes. The only difference being, as Rolling Stones magazine point out again, is that whilst Will hides his race, Sister Knight proudly displays hers. So there we have it. That's Lindelof's big masterstroke of this episode was the fact that superheroes, traditionally such a white part of American culture, was all born from a black man being lynched. That's brilliant. That is absolutely fantastic. Right, I'll tell you what we're going to go and do now. We're going to go and speak to the series costume designer, Megan Kasperlik. I spoke to her on the phone uh, yesterday. Uh, she was in New York working on a show, which she talked a little bit about, which also sounds amazing, actually. And it was really, really good chatting to her. So here we go. Here's Megan Kasperlik for you. How are you doing, Megan? 
I'm well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Whereabouts are you in the world? Are you in New York at the moment? Um, I'm currently doing a mini series in uh, Philadelphia. Oh wow! How's it going? It's well. It's a great. Um, it's another HBO series. Um, it's a mini series with Kate Winslet called Mayor of Easttown, where she plays a uh, plainclothes detective in kind of a small rural town investigating a disappearance of a girl and a murder and all those things. Oh wow! So. Uh, nice million, cheery stuff <laughs> a million miles away from tulsa yes many many miles away from tulsa so we so are in the uk uh we just watched episode six which went out uh at 2 a.m this morning which was an incredible episode and one i mean every episode i knew i've known we were going to be speaking for a couple of weeks now and and i've just been watching all the episodes again and thinking it's it must have been such fun to get your teeth into a series like Watchmen. Oh yes, it was very very exciting and um I, I as an assistant I had worked on a couple of superhero films but to get one that a series that was my own but also dealt with a lot of um political and race issues and yeah. a lot of current events happening in American history and American culture. It was really exciting and Damon Lindelof as a creator and showrunner was is unparalleled so it was really exciting to come on to this project so what stage were you brought on because i would because the costumes and the masks you know the, i mean there's a running theme throughout the whole series of of, of masks and who we are behind the mask and you, the, the gray lines that are blurred between heroes and villains wearing masks and all that kind of stuff i would imagine you must have been brought on quite early yeah I um I was on another project when they did the pilot, so I came on right out. I came on after the pilot. Okay. Um. So Sharon Davis did the pilot, and then I um, adopted it from her. So there was already the Sister Night costume and the Looking Glass costume right, and okay. Red Scare, but pretty much everyone else was created post um after I came on. And or a number of them. And what was the brief? Um. It was. I, when I when I interviewed, I didn't know anything that was happening. I didn't know if it was a, if it was similar to the Zack Snyder film, if we were telling our own story, because everything was kept so hush hush. Like yeah. there were there was nothing. It was just a conversation creatively about ideas and taking the series where it could go. But I really knew nothing when I interviewed. So then when I came on and saw what was happening and read the scripts, I was just even more excited because there's so many factors that I thought were really important in storytelling and historically to have such, um, to be telling the story that's historically that has happened, but also bringing in new um, ideas and vigilantes uh, with the Watchmen graphic novel. um, All of the vigilantes created their own costumes. So it was very important that nothing was super super high tech and that i wanted to make sure that it was something that the people that the people who are the superheroes vigilantes the crime fighters that they kind of quote unquote made their own costumes so in doing that things had to be a little bit more simplified than if you're doing kind of like an iron man or some yeah, of those sure. other characters um and i think that posed great excitement and challenges at the same time to how to make it look cool and fresh and exciting but not also that you're using super high-tech materials and whatnot so take me through that so how do you go about i mean i want i'm desperate to ask about looking glasses mask but i'll save that till last because i don't want any spoilers for that but how do you go about 
doing that then? Because I walk along the street, you know, I've got I've got kids who are desperate to kind of dress up as superheroes, and I just I, I can never find the materials. I can never see that stuff on the street. Is it all there in front of us? Is it just what you guys do with it that that that, that turns it into something special? Yeah, it's definitely all there in front of us. Um, so, for example, Sister Night's costume is made out of like a stretch cotton material and leather, and it's just about the way that it was put together. So um, it was it had its base when I came on because it was in the pilot, but then I kind of tweaked a few things so that it would be able to work through the series. Yeah. So I made sure um, they were definitely having some challenges with the hood when they had the pilot. So I came in and I made sure it had its nice like domed shape. So it stayed up on Regina's head and put a layer of neoprene in there. So it, it kind of gave it a little shape with also being soft so that you could use that with all the stunt sequences and putting a little extra stretch in the shoulders and what we call action gussets for when those like action and fight scenes happen so yeah. that the leather wouldn't tear. How, how long does um, it take to get from concept to, to to finished article, to on set? It depends. Like I work with um, an illustrator and so I send over ideas. We do some, a number of renderings. So sometimes you can have a concept approved within a few days and sometimes it's like a couple of weeks depending on the character. The Lady True concept took a couple of weeks, but yeah. then once we went with that um, – most of her most of her costumes um, have a custom made element to it. So in episode four, that coat, which I call it a coat, it's like the sleeveless cape coat. Oh sure, yeah, that yeah. Um, like that was custom made, but the dress underneath it I purchased. Um, and then in future episodes, a lot of her stuff is custom made. Okay, um, once we kind of got. There. Yeah, once we got kind of in, knew who she was and got a feel her character and moving forward, because Lady True's character, we didn't know the full story until much later. Okay. Um, because we we get episodes all at once. We get them as we're going on. So we'll, we'll be working on an episode and get an outline for a future episode. So that is great because we get to kind of pace out what we're doing, but at the same time, like to have forward thinking to create costumes ahead of time too. How many, how many reveals are there in the costumes? Because it strikes me as that, you know, for instance, all of looking glasses kind of history, when we saw his origin uh, episode a couple of weeks back, it became abundantly clear that inside his cap, it was the, uh, what is basically a tinfoil hat, wasn't it? Right. So that was not apparent right from the beginning. It was just more that it had to be, um, it had to be kind of this uh, luminescent or reflect. It had to have a reflective material to it. Right. So um, with Looking Glasses Mask, we actually had um, kind of like a spandex lame mask for when he was in the distance, but his mask is actually predominantly CG. So what? we would have like no! five different. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> we would have five different masks. So we would have the kind of lame reflective element of the mask that we had a physical one that would stretch, but it wouldn't quite produce the um, reflective that we needed to right, get, see. like you know, Don Johnson fixing his tie or like yeah, yeah. or like getting something out of her tooth. So then we would have a motion capture um, mask, so that when he pulled down, you they did this really cool like the effects guys did this really cool thing with these reflective balls to get the, exactly the way the reflection was. So we would do that post the scene to make oh, wow. sure that they were getting it. Um, and then we had a blue screen and a green screen mask, depending 
depending on where we were. So it was, we, the customer always had um, all of the masks with him at all times, depending on what the scene required. It's such a cool look. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Like I cannot even believe how awesome it looks like watching it. (laughs) One thing that struck me about, about the series was that it could have been, um, it could have looked quite dour. It could have, if they'd have wanted to, they could have made it look quite dark and ultra, Uh ultra real. Whereas uh-huh. I, I really enjoy, there's real flashes of rich color throughout the whole thing, whether it's from the sets or the, the titles, but in particular the costumes as well. It, the, everything feels very rich. Was that was that a purposeful kind of uh, endeavor? It was very much discussed that it wouldn't be as dark as, say, like Gotham. Yeah. In Batman. So that was very, uh, that was discussed and having richness. And then when we do sequences from like American hero story, that was a big discussion about how all the color needed to be really pumped up and how it was a TV show within a TV show. And how could we make it like extra? How can it be um, very vibrant? Yeah. And so that you, so the audience instantly knows that it's not the actual Tulsa Watchmen story that it's like a little bit extra of a TV within a TV show. So when in choosing those colors and those costumes, um, predominantly almost everything on that is custom made. So all of the hooded justice and a number of the, um, the stunt players happening in there, like in the, in the second episode at like Fred's and then moving forward, um, it was very much to make sure that, as you say, the richness was in there. Yeah. And then when we go into like Wade looking glasses, like underground bunker, like that's a little bit more aged and nothing is like super bright and new. So there has to be kind of a, a graphic novel element to certain aspects, but then um, other aspects, the colors are like pumped up and that was intentional. And you've created, there are, there are lots of distinct looks. And one of my favorites is, is with uh, is Adrian Veidt and his kind of just crazy kind of Lord of the Manor slash kind of deep sea diver outfit. That, that was incredible. Was that, was that, was that fun to put together? The so the the one that Mr. Phillips wears in episode four, um, when he has kind of like the first suit with the with the um armor helmet. That's a little on, bit too thin, yeah. That's a little bit too thin. So that was that that suit, and then the deep sea diver, as you say, that space suit that's made out of the buffalo that he shoots. Those were the first two costumes that I created for the whole series. Oh wow. Um, because coming in those type of helmet elements and anything that's sculpted and molded and then made. So Ironhead um, Studios, which is a custom design studio out of Los Angeles, I did renderings for those and illustrated what I needed it to look like and wanted it to look like and got it approved by Damon and then sent it to them and they molded, for example, um, Adrian Veidt's helmet that looks like blonde hair. Yeah. So because Adrian Veidt is known for his blonde hair in the graphic novel, I wanted the hair to be an element into his costume for his spacesuit. So his spacesuit is, it's a fully functional ventilation system in there. So he could breathe and he wouldn't, the the glass wouldn't fog up and all of those things. And so one of my favorite elements that um, Ironhead did is that the, because there has to be an exhaust for the, the like the breathing to come out of the carbon monoxide to come out of after sure, once you're yeah, breathing yeah. the exhaust came through his follicles in his hair 
Oh my God. And so you can't see it unless his head is completely tipped over and you're looking for it. But it was so brilliant that they, that that happened. And then the detail that you can, you can't even see all the details that are in the boots because it was made. The idea is that all of these objects are found in the manor. So the, like, there's a watch element or like these extra elements that are in the manor are involved in the costume. Like it's pieced together that way. Um, so that was really exciting and it was amazing to see Jeremy get into the suit for the first time and kind of run around. And <laughs> he was, he was amazing. He he is amazing. It's just so phenomenal to work with him. Um, can you, I know we're only on episode uh, six in the UK. Uh, yes. Have we got lots to look forward to over the next few weeks? Oh my gosh, get ready. If you thought six was <laughs> bonkers, just just wait. It's just, um, there's a lot of storytelling and a lot being told. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a number of custom-made costumes for a number of the cast. So oh. that's really, that got really exciting because six is kind of the big costume episode because we're back in the 30s and the 40s. Sure, yeah, yeah. And it ex- it's explained how the Hooded Justice Kate costume came about and how it was created from Such the events a good that happened. Such a so good backstory. that backstory is quite amazing. And then being able to create, because um, Will and then um, Angela goes into the nostalgia into her grandfather's body, yeah. we had to create custom costumes for the same costume for Jovan, who plays Will, and then also Regina, who goes into the body. So they're always wearing the same costume, but their faces are swapped. Amazing. Like they're so they so Regina physically got into all of the Will costumes, and Jovan got into the same costumes, which we custom made in house. So that was so exciting to see that all come to life. It was brilliant. And it then, was such a good episode. And then as we carry into seven, eight, and nine, the there's a lot more. Oh, a lot more yeah. to look forward to. And uh, and and finally, are you aware of of the impact that you you have had on Comic Con uh, attendees for the next couple of decades? <laughs> I mean, everybody I... is going to be everybody uh, is desperate to to buy their own looking glass mask. Uh, failing that, everyone's going to have big yellow kind of snoods over their faces. You know, I never thought about the impact of all of like the entire series when I took the job, when I said yes to the job, just because I was excited to come on and I love working. I've worked with HBO before and I love creating content for um, HBO because they give you so much creative Liberty. Yeah, exactly. But um, I've already seen from New York comic-con because there was a little teaser before that people are already dressing up as sister night and people, my friends sent me some, someone on eBay is selling like the knockoff, like yellow mask from the cops. And it's just crazy already. So amazing. um, someone needs to invent the looking glass uh, lame that you can see through. And I know that person will be a millionaire. (laughs) We know how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Quick trademark it. (laughs) Listen, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been brilliant to chat to you. I'm a big fan of, uh, of what you've done in Watchmen, but also in the OA. It's one of my favorite series. Oh, thank you. One of my favorite series of of, of recent years. So um, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Megan. Uh, wonderful chatting to you. We're going to be trying to get a chat with a few more, maybe. We haven't actually got that long with the series, but we're going to try and get a chat with someone else behind the scenes at Watchmen before we are done. Right, you know what time it is. It's trailer time. Tell me something about yourself, Angela. I'm going to be a police officer. Detective Avon. Detective Avon. I have a secret plan to save humanity, and it starts in Oklahoma. What does this have to do with my treatment? Wait, what the hell are you... All rise for the game warden! If you have anything to say in your defense, say it now. I know you're in there. I took your pills. Right, we know there's only three episodes left, so are we starting to steamroller our way towards some kind of plot resolution? It certainly looks like we might do that. Damon Lindelof has promised that this is going to be a completely self-contained season. We're not going to kind of get a load of cliffhangers, which I kind of like. So what do we know? We find out a little bit more about Lady True. Uh, it'd be interesting to find out what the 7th Cavalry are up to because that's been put, uh, that's been kind of paused for the past couple of weeks. So we know that Angela's awake and that Lady True is looking after her. And it appears that good old Lady True is going to explain what that Millennium Clock does because apparently her plan is to save humanity. Where have we heard that before? The episode is called An Almost Religious Awe, which looks quite good. We get some more flashbacks that are now in colour. They seem to be of Angela's life, of her growing up as a child in Vietnam. We see Angela's grandmother and her parents. And then there's that great shot of Adrian Veidt in court uh, with the game warden seemingly playing judge, putting Adrian on trial for his crimes. And it looks like the jury are the clones that he's been treating so, so badly. Which way will they go? Are they on side Veidt or side game warden? We'll find out in a couple of days' time. Listen, thank you so, so much for listening to Previously On. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do share. Please do subscribe. Please do pass on and spread the word to all of your friends. And I'll tell you what, I will see you next week after we've digested and salivated over Watchmen Season 1, Episode 7. I'll see you then. Thanks very much for listening. Hope it's been helpful. Don't forget, Watchmen is available exclusively on Skylantic each Monday at 9pm. If you've missed any of the episodes so far, do not panic. Don't panic. They've got it covered. Each episode of Watchmen goes straight up on demand as soon as it finishes airing on the Monday night. So they're all there, all ready for you to get stuck into. For more information about Watchmen or indeed any of the other awesome shows that Skylantic have got going on right now, just head over to sky.com. If you've enjoyed Previously On, do us a favour, give us a cheeky little five-star review, tell all your friends, particularly if there's someone maybe in your household that needs to get up to speed with Watchmen so that you can enjoy it together, maybe this podcast would be quite useful for them. If you're new to Previously On, you might want to go back and check out some of our previous episodes. Uh, we've covered recaps of a hell of a lot of series already. There's every single episode of Game of Thrones. We've done Peaky Blinders, Stranger Things, we've done Big Little Lies, and there's loads more of them to come. If you've got any suggestions, just get in touch we're over on twitter at previous podcast we will see you next time until then you've been listening to previously on in association with sky atlantic
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.